Welcome to Blue Hour, a podcast for seekers and thinkers, creatives and dreamers. Here we'll be exploring the convergence of shadow and light, the mysteries of life, and the musings of the soul through psychology, art, and spirituality. I'm your host, Adina Arden Cooper. Please join me on this magical journey as we expand our consciousness and infuse our lives with more wonder, love, and fulfillment. Once upon a time, there was a beautiful maiden who was experiencing some sort of distress and lacked personal power, so, therefore, needed to be rescued. Along came a handsome prince who tried to help the maiden, but encountered a bit of difficulty, often caused by a nasty old woman, before eventually proving himself victorious and winning the affections of the lady. In the end, the two lived happily ever after. Sound familiar? Of course it does. We're all very well acquainted with this storyline. It's been bludgeoned into our brains in various forms since childhood. In another tale, soulmates find each other despite great odds. They've each been through a lot and find incomparable solace in each other's arms. When they're together, no one else exists. No one else matters. Yet their union is impossible, their love is forbidden, it can never be, and there is no way to overcome the obstacles. They're doomed to remain apart forever. Is there any story more romantic or tragic? Welcome to this episode of Blue Hour, which is focused on romantic relationships. I'm not a couples counselor, but many of my clients bring their relationship struggles to therapy. These are infused with frustration, disappointment, hurt, and self-doubt, all of which are hallmarks of ego activation. In this way, relationships are a powerful pathway to personal growth. Conflict and triggering lead to expanded awareness and emotional healing. When you start to examine things from this perspective, you create opportunity for deeper connection with yourself and with another. It's impossible to be in a relationship without ego activation, so it helps to understand it and recognize how you may be getting in your own way. It helps to regard romantic relationships not as an end goal to achieve, but as a catalyst for personal growth. Our notions of romance form early. When I was about seven years old, I asked my mom why every song on the radio was about love. I remember she laughed, but offered no good explanation. They just are, she said. I remember feeling annoyed. I didn't want to listen to love songs. Of course, at seven, I couldn't relate to them. Without the infusion of my own experience and emotions, I held a purely objective perspective of song lyrics and the picture they painted made romance sound absolutely terrible. As an adult who's now had many varied experiences of romantic love, I can comprehend the emotion infused in creative expressions of love. I understand why we need to process it and how it serves as artistic inspiration. 
songs, movies, novels, poetry, art, the expressions of humankind revolve around attempting to convey and make sense of the ineffable, magnificent, and utterly harrowing experience of romantic love. To discover more about the way you relate to love, consider the love songs that have struck a chord for you, or the movies, poetry, art, or novels that felt relatable at certain points in your life. These expressions have made a mark on what you expect or how you conceive of love. Consider how those impressions played out in your relationships or attitudes towards love. Some people spend their lives chasing love. Others settle into long-term relationships with ease. What creates this difference? Attachment ruptures and trauma play a part, but that's not the whole story. Sometimes people with horrible upbringings or histories of neglect go on to have wonderful relationships, while people who were well-loved struggle to connect. I believe this has a lot to do with expectations and motivations. It helps to make the distinction between love and relationship because they're not interchangeable. Love is the energy, the essence, the emotion of connection. Relationship is the action, the effort, the ministrations of connection. A does not flow easily into B, a fact that people often fail to realize. There's a common, often subconscious, misconception that if there is love, then the relationship will fall into place. This expectation sets most of us up for tremendous disappointment. Here are some myths that impact romantic relationships. Love is romance. Romance offers wholeness. Your soulmate is out there. Happily ever after exists. Let's start with a definition of love. Love isn't romance. Romantic relationships are merely one form of love. Love is the divine essence that flows within all natural and living things. Love is universal consciousness. Love is God. We feel this in many ways, in nature, when creating, when praying or playing, when relating. Sometimes this energy is mirrored back to us through another person. Sometimes we can feel our divine energy come alive through being with and knowing another, and it's such a delightful feeling, we want more of it. But we mistakenly think that the other person is creating it, that it is somehow initiated by that other person when in fact they're an echo of what already exists within us. Which isn't to say certain people aren't significant or that those resonances don't matter. Of course they do. It's a special and beautiful thing when someone awakens us to the energy within. But we need to understand that the awakening is not love itself. When we make that mistake, we believe that we need romantic love to be complete. We think that the only way to experience the beauty within is through another person. So we chase the person or people to try to hold on to the feeling which is like trying to hold on to sunlight. You can't hold it. It's not a possession to hoard. 
It's an experience to enjoy that helps you feel warm and hopeful and nourished. The moon doesn't actually lose parts of itself when parts are not illuminated by the sun. It's still whole and complete regardless. Same is true for you and romantic love, which also goes through phases. Many people believe in soulmates. I am one of those people. However, I don't conceive of soulmates as romantic necessarily or exclusive. I believe in soul family. These are the beings who awaken the divine spirit within. This may come connected to romance or it may not. It may come through a human or it may come through an animal or a plant even. Again, this relates to the notion that there is one and only one other person that can and must complete you. When you operate from that perspective, you put an extraordinary amount of pressure on one person and set yourself up for repeated disappointment while cutting yourself off from an incredible amount of love and connection. Sometimes soul family sticks around our entire lives. Sometimes we only know them for brief periods. The duration of the relationship does not reflect the relationship's value. When you embrace this truth, you appreciate connection so much more. Appreciate your soulmates, your soul family, instead of dismissing important connections in search of the one. By now, we all know that happily ever after is a fairy tale ending. Most people can agree that relationships aren't so simple. However, this expectation remains embedded deep in the psyche and has been reinforced in so many ways that even though the conscious mind understands its limitations, a subconscious expectation remains in effect. Fairy tales and other stories that center around soulmates finding each other lead us to believe that romantic love conquers all and that there is one person out there who will raise us to this higher level of existence. When we're young, this is so enchanting, it gives us hope and infuses life with meaning and direction. At first, it seems the hard part is finding our person. After that, everything is supposed to click into place. When it doesn't, then it seems something is wrong with them, with us, with the relationship. This assessment is like poison and begins to infect the relationship with negative emotions, which either leads to a breakup or feeling unfulfilled or stuck. Anyone who's been in a long-term relationship will tell you that the relationship has taken a lot of hard work. There are always phases. Sometimes things flow easily. Sometimes there's a lot of conflict, distance, or doubt. What makes a relationship last isn't a magical, spotless force of perfection, but a mutual commitment to stay together even when things are tough. In order for this to occur, all involved have to release the expectation for the relationship to be easy. A major difficulty in relationships revolves around the ego's desire to be special. On some level, we all want to be chosen. Monogamy is the undeniable standard set forth for romantic relations, relationships in many, if not most, cultures around the world. It supports the idea of the singular soulmate who completes us and makes everything better. 
When I worked as a school counselor, I was struck by how common it was for kids to expect the person they were dating to be quote-unquote faithful. This often meant that the other person was forbidden to communicate or spend time with any other person who could potentially become a romantic interest. Kids would be devastated because their significant other, quote, cheated on them by, say, texting someone else. I mean, they were in middle school. These are not mature people who've made informed, lifelong commitments to one another. When and how did we stop dating in our youth? When did we shift instead to being in one monogamous relationship at a time, beginning at the very first inclinations toward romantic interest in life? Personally, I think this cultural practice is damaging to healthy self-development and healthy relationships. The ego's drive to be chosen and special has placed emphasis on a narrow definition of loyalty or fidelity rather than curious self-exploration and honest communication. How the hell are we supposed to figure out who we are, who we want to be, how to love ourselves, what we need from relationships, or how to give and receive affection when we enter the realm of romance by forcing ourselves to adhere to standards that not only reject but vehemently shame natural impulses. So much gets shoved into shadow during this early phase of sexual and relational development, and these forces affect us for years to come. We ought to be invited to explore our curiosities and interests without shame so that we can know and understand ourselves. When we know and understand ourselves, we know what we're seeking and how to express our truth. If we're permitted to freely explore relationships in youth, then we're better prepared to enter into a long-term commitment later, which means we're better prepared to adhere to expectations of fidelity. Of course, culture again dictates that the long-term monogamous commitment is the objective. People blindly strive for this because they've been programmed to believe it's best. But monogamy isn't right for everyone. Many will argue that human beings are not naturally monogamous creatures. Some believe that it defies our primal nature. I'm not going to make a case for that one way or another. While personally, I agree that primal instinct plays a part in human sexuality, I also recognize the value of monogamy. Where I feel we go wrong is in the assertion of one and only one acceptable way of being. Humans are a diverse lot, and what's right for one person may not be right for another. Unfortunately, non-dominant ways of living are often not even known to be an option for some people, or groupthink has labeled them as bad without offering any actual thought or exploration on the matter. Thankfully, this seems to be changing as some younger generations are rethinking old structures. In this way, consensual non-monogamy has become more commonplace than it once was. Yet, it still suffers from a great deal of judgment and misunderstanding. Whether you choose monogamy or not, it's helpful to be aware of the neuroscience related to romance. Studies have shown that primitive areas of the brain are activated when you think about your lover. Chemicals flood the brain as we fall in love, creating physiological and emotional responses. 
Dopamine brings feelings of euphoria, while increased cortisol decreases serotonin, influences feelings of in- influencing feelings of insecurity and obsessive preoccupation. This is the experience that is often referred to as new relationship energy. Hormones such as oxytocin and vasopressin are released during sex and create feelings of contentment and attachment. All of this is very intense and exciting when we connect with a new partner. As time passes, hormones settle, shifting how we experience our partners. Sometimes we still get rushes of chemical release in response to them. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes once the excitement abates, we're left wondering, what the hell was I thinking? Earlier this season, I described IFS therapy, which addresses parts of self that form from our lived experience. If you haven't listened to that episode, I encourage you to do so. All too often, our wounded parts choose our partners. Maybe you have a pattern of being in relationship with people who treat you like shit because a part of you feels unworthy of anything better. Maybe you've chosen a partner you're not physically attracted to because there's a part of you who fears abandonment. Maybe you chase status or looks because a part of you feels inadequate on your own. You may not consciously know what motivated your choices until you dive in and get acquainted with your parts. When we make life choices from our wounds rather than an integrated, aligned, and whole self, we tend to function as those parts. In this way, we take on roles. We become the roles we play, thereby suppressing or denying other aspects of self, which leads to negative emotions. Often, the roles we play in our romantic relationships mimic roles we played within our families of origin. If you were a caretaker for your parents or siblings, you may easily slip into that role with your partner. If you were ignored or neglected as a kid, you may find it difficult to voice your needs in your relationship. If you were praised a lot for your achievements or for being stoic, you may seek a partner who praises you for your achievements now, or you may struggle to be vulnerable and show your emotions. You get the idea. If these roles are comfortable and in alignment with who you are at a core level, then there may be no problem. You may be very happy in your relationship. But if they're not a full representation of your true self, then you may struggle. Often, as wounded parts evolve and heal, the partner chosen from a wound no longer feels compatible. This can be really confusing. You may not understand what's wrong. You may wonder what happened to your connection, or you may look for problems to try to rationalize why you don't feel the same anymore. When this happens, it may mean that it's time to move on from a relationship that's no longer right for you. Or it may mean that the relationship you're in needs to evolve and grow along with you. Either way, moving forward isn't simple or easy. In addition to playing our roles, we often expect our partners to play theirs. This can lead to feeling frustrated or disappointed when they don't behave in accordance with the role we want or expect them to play. The fact is, despite what your expectations are, regardless of what motivated you to enter the relationship, no matter whether you choose to partner with one person or many, you will have to put forth a great deal of effort if you want romantic love in your life. 
Relationships are a lot of work, period. And if you're going about them well, you're working on the most important relationship of all, which is the one you have with yourself. Sadly, this is probably the most neglected and abusive relationship most people experience. Strengthening your relationship with yourself isn't merely about taking a spa day or demanding people treat you a certain way. It doesn't stop when you break up with the asshole or finally set boundaries with your mother. While these actions may reflect work you're doing to strengthen your relationship with yourself, they are not actually the strengthening. No, that is done when you excavate and acknowledge the many different parts of you. When you sit with and witness yourself without judgment. When you offer yourself genuine compassion and cultivate sincere love for all parts of you, even the ones you initially despise. It's not enough to say you love yourself. You have to really do it. You can't only love the aspects you're proud of that you like other people to witness. You also have to love the aspects of yourself that you fear and hide away. This takes incredible courage, insight, and effort. It's a messy, painful, yet gorgeous endeavor, and one most people avoid. It's been my observation that people generally do not want to sit with themselves in this way. We're brought up in a perfection-driven, shallow society that encourages people to avoid, distract, and lay blame rather than do hard, personal, or spiritual work. We're conditioned to seek fulfillment externally, to try to find meaning and purpose in someone or something else. We're led to believe that we're incomplete until we find a significant other. It's incredibly difficult to find someone who is a good fit for you when you don't even know who you are. It's nearly impossible to enjoy a healthy relationship if you expect another person to fix everything that feels broken inside of you. As you seek to create aligned relationships in your life, you will need to unlearn old conditioning and patterns of thought and behavior. You may need to identify and heal wounded parts of self. You may need to observe how your ego is interfering with your soul's authentic expression. You will need to get to know yourself at a deep level, separate from other people's influences and expectations. You will have to stop blaming other people or fate or yourself for your struggles and instead cultivate genuine compassion for yourself, which is empowering and allows you to have even more compassion for others as well. And if you're someone who's willing to make this effort and put forth this level of work on yourself, it helps to find others, a partner, who is willing to do the same. If you're feeling creative, write out your desired love story. Flesh out who you want you, the main character, to be in the story. Identify how you want that character to think, feel, and behave. This isn't about visioning the perfect mate. It's about becoming an authentic version of you and then welcoming in an aligned partner. After you write out the story, step into the identity of that character. Begin to move through the world as that person 
as if your vision is already a reality. Notice what shifts when you do. So with that, I will leave you to ponder, to write, to create, to um, engage in your own musings and creative expressions of romantic love and to dive in and do the hard work of getting to know yourself at a deeper level. Until next time, wishing you all the best. Be well. Thank you for listening to Blue Hour. To find out more about me, Adina Arden Cooper, and my work, visit my website at firebirdcreative.me. You can also follow me on Instagram at fire.bird.creative. If you liked this episode, please share it. And if you like this podcast, please review and subscribe. Join me for the next episode. Until then, I'll leave you with the words of Rumi, famed 13th century Persian poet, scholar, and mystic. Wherever you are, and whatever you do, be in love. <laughs>